When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's December 7th, 2021. I'm Maggie Lake here with Tony Greer, editor of The Morning Navigator. And we have a lot to talk about, right? A quick snapshot of the action in the U.S. session. Risk assets were back in favor today in a big way during the U.S. trading session. Stocks racked up another strong day of gains. Um, NASDAQ, I think, best day since March. S&P 500 back near, if not at, its all-time high. Russell up 3%. Uh, we also saw Bitcoin briefly back above 51,000. I'm not sure if it managed to stay there. We'll have to see as it settles. And oil up about 4%. Tony, there's a lot going on in this market. What did you make of the action? Something beautiful, isn't it, Maggie? You know what I mean? Um, you know, we came back from Thanksgiving with a completely different narrative to contend with. We had, you know, a new variant of the coronavirus that the media was taking very seriously. Um, we ran into some slippage in the markets because of that. And then we ran into Jerome Powell's statements last week, which were clearly along the lines of being a vocal hawk. Yeah. Right. I mean, and I think that that's what his uh, his um, attitude is going to take on since his second Biden nomination, as that seems to be something that has been prevalent. You know, as soon as he's come out of the second nomination, he's been making a lot of comments about inflation. So naturally, the market is going to perceive that as something a little bit scary, a little bit tighter than usual, and it's going to come under pressure. But what I feel like we're seeing is a couple of things, you know, for me last week, was sort of the diminishing return on the new variant scare yeah. alongside you know the selling that we saw last week i'm a big purveyor of the tick index and we saw four tick index extremes of diminishing magnitude as the week went on so i'm counting the first one was minus 1800 on thanksgiving friday when there was a big sell-off in stocks then we got three readings last week that were minus 1,700, minus 1,675, and minus 1,500. So there was a lot of selling going on just with less and less intensity. Then you look over at where the S&P settled in, you know, and it was just really pounding the 50-day moving average above 4,500. You come into this week and basically over the weekend, you know, the Omicron scare tactics fell flat on their face. And the market's looking way past that already and understanding that Jerome Powell is something that we can contend with in a bull market, right? That's all navigable, both his comments and how the market adjusts. So what we're seeing today is the beautiful sort of, you know, escape velocity trade into risk. You know, everybody got a chance to de-risk. We saw a huge slide in oil, which was a market leader. So huge slides in technology, you know, there was an actual, you know, several days of portfolio managers cutting risk down with the volatility exploding, right? We saw the VIX hang in the 30s yeah. for a good couple, good couple days there. But, you know, as it turns out, as I pointed out to my clients while it was in the 30s, is that, you know, it's been in the 30s for the last five 
um, steep sell-offs in the S&P. And if you look back at those, those are all at, you know, as you go back in time, they're all at lower and lower levels. Mm. So you start to put two and two together and say, you know, it's better to be making purchases than sales when this type of volatility is going on, when the VIX is elevated, when the S&P is pounding support levels. And then you start off with an oil recovery, like just an unbelievable leap off the lows, you know, right, get, you know, getting back in stride. I'm not sure that the selling is over or that the pressure is over yet. It's too early to tell that, but we've certainly taken a couple of steps in the right direction. Um, we cleared a lot of length out. We didn't go into it with an enormous amount of spec length. So it wasn't that big of an event. And we're starting to get spreads settling in the calendar spreads. I'm talking about the curve settling in at, you know, historically supportive levels. So, you know, we're going to give oil. oil right? Yeah, we're talking about the oil market. So we're going to the, you know, give that the benefit of the doubt in terms of leading the commodity complex. Yeah. And so now you've got sort of everything coming out of a de-risking, looking past Omicron and looking, you know, to see what's next out there. I have a very sure feeling that whatever the next alphabet le uh, letter is in the Greek alphabet, if they name a variant after it, nobody's going to care. Yeah. So well, we, we've certainly seen we've certainly seen the recoveries quicker. I'm wondering, you know, I mean, if you looked at the VIX today, like you said, I mean, it was a huge move today. At one point it was down 20 percent, 17 percent. Does it feel like we've kind of gotten over that, you know, cliched wall of worry? Or are we in for this time where we're going to be swinging around? Because as you said, you know, variant aside, there were multiple things. Even before either of those events happened, you could kind of feel a a little bit of nervousness in the market. Some, some of these markets had huge gains. People were wondering, should they book them? Should they, as we head into the seasonal end of the year, you know, does it feel like we can be constructive from here? Oh, I mean, I couldn't be more constructive for a Santa rally. I mean, we <laughs> set up for a Santa rally better than we have in the last, I don't know, 20 years that I've been following the stock markets. Just given the situation and the timing of the selling that we just saw with, you know, kind of a fake headline, a fake narrative, you know, being forced into the markets. And then, you know, you get a, a on top of that, a Fed chair making some type of hawk incrementally mm. less dovish comments, I would say. And, yeah, we have a very slight adjustment in the S&P. Everybody panics for a couple of days because it's a long way down. But the mechanism for the bull market is entirely intact. And so I think that we're set up now through the end of the year to have a really nice run where people look to get set up for the first quarter of 22. Mm. Looking into next year, there's obviously going to be, you know, there's a lot of stories that still have yet to unfold that yeah. we're going to be running into. So I think that it's too early to tell whether that rally continues to sail right into the new year. But it feels like we're going to sort of reach the next milestone of maybe S&P 5K on this kind of a follow through and then we'll see but it's not going to be a linear trade maggie you know i mean it's yeah. for me the whole bull market rally has been sort of trying to be in the front place horses as much as you can you know it's been really difficult that toss-up between hard assets and technology that you can choose from and you know they're all kind of establishing their personality now during this inflationary period that we're seeing yeah. but i think you know as i look at the screen today on a big recovery day like this this day looks much more positive than the worst days look negative on the downside to me, yeah. if, that, if I can interpret that. Um, you know, on the days that we had heavy selling last week, there were still one or two sectors that came out of it in the green. There were still one or two sectors that managed to rally sharply, like home builders and semiconductors. 
And, you know, you kind of get a look at those charts and you say, well, they didn't react very badly in the sell-off. You know, I got a feeling And today you look at the screen and we are up across the board, right? A a three sigma rally in broad tech and semiconductors, two sigma rally in Apple, FANG stocks, the NASDAQ. Yeah, they're all, they all seem to be leading again, even though I heard, heard so many doubts. And I still hear people saying sometimes there's concern if you're in a higher interest rate environment, if their Fed's going to be more aggressive. Traditionally, that might not be great for tech stocks. And yet when we rally, the leadership seems to go that way. Well, there are days that they're in the, that they are, you know, the best performing sectors on the board. You know, that has just coincided, by the way, with Apple breaking out to new highs after yeah. a period of consolidation. So that's, you know, that to me and the semiconductor sector are driving tech. But if you want to look up on the year, you know, oil and gas XOP up 75 percent year to date, XLE up 50 percent year to date, home builders up. 50% year to date. There's, we haven't got to any technology yet, darling. You know what I mean? And yeah. so retail, and then we get to semiconductors. And so, you know, they have been adjusting, I think, to a higher rate environment. I think that that's the, that's the sort of unknown thesis, Maggie, if I may, that feels like it's going to have to play out is that if we're going to, if, if, if inflation is going to run a little bit hotter, I think that we're going to allow yields to rise again, and I could be wrong, but I think yields can rise. And then we'll see, traditionally, that's been a much more difficult, you know, an inflationary environment where hard assets are sought after. That's been a traditionally difficult time for technology to perform, where people yeah. are shifting into hard assets and maybe out of technology, which is the deflation trade. Yeah. So if we wind up, you know, over time, really um, pivoting that way, We'll see what happens. But right now, it's, it's you know, like you say, you notice in the last several days or weeks, it's like a dead even race between hard assets and technology. Everything is coming out of this little de-risking with a bit of a tailwind. So that's why I feel like it's set up to be a really good rally for the next couple of weeks. There are some large magnitude jumps off the screen today that yeah. have erased all of last week's negativity. So it feels like this next leg is just getting started. Which is going to make a lot of people happy as we go into end, uh, you know, year end, especially because you know the news that that knocked it down. Of course, it happens on a holiday weekend here in the U.S. anyway, so you have some people out and you know trying to come back in and grapple with that fallout. Um, yeah. when, when we, I want to shift to uh, get a little bit more into oil. So, what what are you seeing in terms of price action there? What is it that you like about the rebound we've seen? Well, you know, it had a really scary move. You know, I'm a big technician and it had a very scary move below the 200 day moving average for a technician like me. Right. If you're if you can remain a secular bull, um, that dip wasn't really too scary for you. But to me, the oil trade is going to be nothing but position management from here on in, you know, at least until we get up above one hundred dollars a barrel, because there are a couple of situations under the hood where, you know, it's the oil market is going to have, you know, Saudi Arabia is going to come out with a lot less excess production than they've had over the last several years, which is going to make it much more difficult for the OPEC complex to manage and de-risk the oil markets and sort of squash volatility. If you pair that up with the ESG situation that we're going into now, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's going to make it even more expensive to pull oil out of the ground, which is going to cause the price of gasoline to go up, et cetera, et cetera. So then you get that whole you know, bullish energy flywheel going and the backwardation starts to feed on itself, right? We're going into winter with much lower inventories than we've seen over the years. Um, We're going into it with a pretty bullish fundamental picture, a bullish technical picture now. And the secular bull looks like it wants to stay on the run. Mm. 
Mm. Right. So we're dealing with the SPR release that we've already, you know, recovered a lot of the ground that we lost due to that. You know, the market is figuring out that that's not a lot of oil getting dumped on the markets. It's not going to have a major effect on day to day price. So you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You know, you know I, I want to jump in right. there because we had this topic came up. We had an interview out on Real Vision today, and Michael Cow spoke with Warren Pies about this very issue sort of surrounding questions with that um, strategic. Uh, reserve release, you know, that that caused such big headlines. Let's have a listen to what they had to say, and then we'll pick up on the other side. Yeah. What's interesting about this is that, you know, I guess at max, as I mentioned at the beginning of our call, I've seen estimates uh, of SPR barrels. If every single country joined in, I've seen numbers as high as 115 million barrels. Um, the last missive I saw from Goldman indicated maybe it could be like 70 to 80 million barrels, although I'm told that that number still assumes uh, a pretty hefty China release. And I think, as we all know, China's been kind of, you know, a little bit dodgy on their intentions. And so um, I wonder, um, because of what's happened organically in the price of oil, especially the collapse in the front end and the fact that basically none of these SPR barrels have yet to price. Um, you know, if a bunch of other countries back out, could the U.S. be the only guy committed to selling at, at, at potentially the low? So sort of interesting, by the way, you can see that entire, uh, that full interview on our Essential Plus and Pro Tiers. Um, with uh, Warren Pye, Michael Cow talking to Warren Pies, and they covered a lot of territory. Um, but Tony, it's sort of interesting concept. I mean, you mentioned that prices have already recovered from those headlines hitting. Do we not think that th th this sort of coordinated, what we thought was going to be coordinated action is really going to pan out, and this is maybe just more of an attempt at jawboning? Well, yeah, I think that's what um, is going on. I think that Jerome Powell is doing, you know, his bark is going to be always worse than his bite when it comes to tightening, when it comes to raising rates, when it comes to slowing down QE purchases. So we have that, uh, we have that to stick in our cap. But, you know, if we want to go back to the oil market, where we should have, I, excuse me, I didn't mean to jump around here. That's there. okay, it's all right. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I appreciate what Mike Cow had to say. We trained in the same dojo the day that I got to Goldman Sachs for my first day of work. He was one of the first three or four people that I met. Awesome. So, um, I ha yeah, I have a lot of respect for him and what he says about the markets. Um, you know, he makes a couple of good points about the SPR releases, and that's worth considering, you know, if everybody teams up on the, on the commodity in order to try to get the price down, you know, across continents. Et cetera, et cetera. There may be some longer drag on the price. But to me, it still looks like, you know, this still looks like a functioning bull market that is going to have a lot of volatility. Like I said, that is really just going to be a referendum on whether the market's too long at any given time or not and susceptible to any kind of headline risk. Yeah. So, and, and you have a situation, don't you, with oil where you've got some of these. Um, I don't want to call them structural, but you've got some of these long-term trend issues like the underinvestment um, and 
the ESG now involved and in, in how that impacts the market. And then you have the, the shorter term. How sensitive do you think the oil market is to the demand side of the equation? Because we do have a lot of forecasts that suggest that growth will be slowing. How much it slows is another story. You know, whether it comes off red hot and stays elevated or whether it really slows precipitously. We know China is expected to not kind of contribute to global growth in the way it did. Are, how sensitive do oil prices are oil prices to that economic demand side, you know, versus some of the other factors? Well, the week before Thanksgiving, we registered the highest week of gasoline demand in history. So the demand is certainly there. You know, I think India and China are, are bigger consumers than the world gives them credit for. And, and I know China just restarted its oil consumption plan after giving their refineries some new directives. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, that that they've been the big consumer, you know, we're you know, obviously we're changing the landscape here. And obviously we're not the number one global producer anymore by design. Um, that's going to have its obvious effects. We're going to have to wait for this, um, you know, the Biden ESG story to play out. And, you know, it seems like we're going into, you know, it seems already to me like the political pendulum is swinging a little bit back at them, you know, and they're only going to be able to manage the optics yeah. of the oil markets. And, you know, they may be able to have an SPR release headline, and then they may come out and say, you know what, while oil's going down, we might sell more from the SPR to make it feel like they're actually affecting price. And then one day later, the price is back up above where they made all of those announcements. And mm -hmm. they can turn around and say, well, that didn't work very well, but there's so much other stuff to talk about right now that we don't have to worry about it, right? Yeah. You shot oil in the foot last week, that worked. Where the price goes from here, we'll worry about it when they start knocking on the office doors again and saying, what can you do about my gas bill? So, you know, it's, um, it's, it's really just a big game of misdirection, I think, out of the administration regarding the oil price. I mean, we shot ourselves in the foot twice. I'm imagining we're going to do it again. So I'm on the lookout for hairy headlines like that, like empty, emptying the SPR to zero to try to make a statement or something like that. But, you know, you really got to keep an open mind with uh, the leadership right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, and uh, hard to imagine that we'd actually see that headline, I think. But but I do get your point about there being a lot of cross currents. And, and certainly as we sort of, you know, head into the elections, it'll be about a, a whole lot of stuff. What What is your do you have a price target for WTI? I think we could sail into the hundreds just basically, you know, judging how the whole storyline seems to be unfolding here. You know, we've come a long way. I think OPEC and Saudi Arabia are very quietly doing a masterful job letting it rise, mm -hmm. um, letting, letting it rise and letting a few more barrels of production hikes sneak out into the market, um, managing it verbally against Joe Biden, who cuts off his own oil supply and then asks foreign countries to pump more, right? They basically said, we can't pump more of this variant risk out there that might slow the markets down. They're already precarious and we're not gonna do it. Next thing you know, we get a variant scare the very next weekend and you know oil goes down ten dollars and back up ten dollars so we'll see how it works out from here but my sense is that it came roaring back my sense is that that spike was very steep in price and short in duration and that's mm -hmm. what bull market spikes lower feel like you know for the shorts it gives you about a five minute window to cover and if you had a yeah. cup of coffee you missed so you know that to me that's a very unforgiving bull market right there and i think that it's going to get back on its feet so we have a couple questions coming in um, from JD, uh, as well as Mario uh, on the exchange. Where Thoughts on natural gas. Where do you see natural gas in the next few weeks? It's a weather play, isn't it? 
right? Mm. We, uh, you know, we traded up to six bucks back down through the moving averages, uh, and it's sort of consolidated around five dollars. And then we got this eight to fourteen day forecast across the U.S. where the weather looks like Hawaii essentially for the next two oh, weeks. Oh my gosh, Hawaii! I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but literally the whole—if you saw the eight to fourteen day USA map, you know, it shows up red where the temperatures are expected to be higher than normal. The entire United States of America was deep red, right? So for the first two weeks of August, of December here, we've got you know tempered weather, 45, 50 degrees. And natural gas is going to go down until it finds a bid. So, you know, I wouldn't sell something that backed off from six to three in this energy environment, if that's fair to say, because mm. you know that the bulls are dying to get back at this thing. And mm. all we need is a cold weather snap. And this may go $7 bid with the, in the same breath after the de-risking that we just saw. So my my... My personal preference is to play natural gas either from the long side or flat side, um, because I don't make the call on power on base power generation on all of that, and um, I try to at least respect the chart. And right now, what we've got is another pullback and another energy security to its 200-day moving average that looks to me like it's right into a huge support zone that I wouldn't get short for all the money in the world. So mm -hmm. from here, I'm looking for it to recover. But it's all going to be a play on weather. Yeah, which is it's tough all over the place now. Um, yep. And no, and by the way, no snow anywhere. It seems like um, ski resorts are dying, right. uh, which is a bummer to any of us who have True. anything planned. Um, we're hoping. <laughs> uh, we have a question from Eric. Uh, can you talk about oil and commodity producers, oil majors, copper and gold miners, etc.? Sure. I mean, I, I kind of uh, I, I'm a big ETF surfer as the way to just mitigate single stock risk and, and fit it into my macro picture. It kind of makes it easier to make decisions and and, and actually rotate your positions around. Um, but I'll talk about a couple that, you know, I think that I think that you're going to have a really good run in oil majors for the next, you know, it could be six months, it could be six years. Um, you know, I just feel like that they're Big picture wise, they're the smallest percentage of the S&P that they've been in decades. Um, micro picture wise, it seems like the big cap majors are going to be able to pivot to carbon capture and storage verticals alongside their exploration and production verticals by virtue of having massive capital expenditure. So I think that they're going to be survivors, certainly at the very least, going through this ESG period and um, winners at, 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 you know, quite possibly coming out of it if there's a pivot back to saying, okay, let's be more serious about this. We're not weaning ourselves off of oil in 10 years. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think they're pretty well set up, you know, and I think that they're playing it politically as down the middle as they possibly can, trying to go carbon neutral themselves, you know, by 2030. Um, if you read up on it and, and watch the carbon credits chart, KRBN, realize that it's not impossible for even a major oil company to hedge their carbon emissions. So with that possibility in hand, I think that they're set up really well for the long and short term, dare I say, without being too bullish. Um, and then if we talk about, uh, I'll jump over to Freeport McMoran, which looks like, you know, the copper right now is street fighting. And I think it's a testament <laughs> to the fact that you know, it just refuses to break down. And it's usually a very, very unforgiving and nasty commodity. And I have felt like I've experienced deja vu looking at the chart, waiting for it to start tumbling lower. 
and it just hasn't because, you know, Maggie, you've said it yourself, we've had a lot of deflation creep into the story in yeah. the last couple of, you know, weeks. There's been, you know, something for everyone, let's just say, and uh, that, that copper has behaved accordingly looking to dump over, but it hasn't because across inventory centers from London to Hong Kong to New York, inventories are at, you know, decade, multi-decade lows with low inventories going into the ESG um, battery unit creation. Yeah, that's what you know, I was going to say. You've got another one of those longer trends, like where the demand comes, uh, you know, has shifted for that metal. Exactly. And that's yeah. become, you know, such a sought after industrial metal now. It's pulled silver into the industrial metal cause, right? Because we need a lot of silver for the battery packs and for um, creating electricity, electric power, storable electric power. Mm. So I, I like plays like Freeport MacMoran, you know, uh, it's basically a pure copper and a little bit of gold play, but really a copper play. Um, they're still coming out of their Indonesia predicament with them. You know, they're one of their biggest mines over there. So more, more importantly, walking into the ESG movement with copper at 10K and the shelves pretty bare, I think that they're going to have a lot of pricing power. And I think you're going to start to see them beat earnings and guide higher. So I yeah. am pretty bullish a lot of the commodity majors from here. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Cool. We have another question. Speaking of uh, ETFs, I don't know if they're referring, uh, you know, directly to that, but. Um, Adam uh, on the exchange says, Tony, loving all the work you're doing with the interviews on the cannabis trade. Where do you see the market itself in 12 months time? And who do you think will be the big macro players in it? I wish Brian was with us today because we were talking about cannabis and he was scratching his head wondering. It, it's been brutal for people who have been in that, in some of those trades. If you have the ETF, some of those ETFs down, what, 45 to 54 percent in the past six months. What do you see happening there? This market is astoundingly unforgiving in cannabis, right? It's literally unexplainable. And I mean that very seriously. I mean, I have taken a couple of shots at the live. I went over my PL for the year and all of the red is pot stock trading. And I can tell you that I give the I give it the benefit of the doubt because you know you follow the stories of some of the big producers. And, you know, you see they you see their operational maneuvering and you're just astounded at what they're able to do in a short period of time. You see them beat earnings and guide higher and get their revenues to 100 million bucks. And you say, boy, the sector must be, oh, my God, what is going on? Right. And yeah. so when I can't understand something like that, I tend to take short term swings at it and run. It's literally a bad cut and run nightmare for me. This sector has been, and I have to openly admit that I'm about to get. I think Jason... for you and a lot of people, though. Oh I mean, yeah. A lot oh of yeah. People. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm about to get Jason Wild on the tape very soon for our second um, Real Vision interview. I was chatting with him on the phone recently, and you know, it's amazing to talk to a guy in the industry that's so busy building business that he's not overly concerned about the stock price right now. You know, mm. and you talk to Todd Harrison at CB1. And, you know, he just keeps feeding his dog and buying more calls. And I think that that's an incredible, incredibly, you know, patient strategy. It's not one that works for me, but it can work for these guys. Because mm -hmm. if you believe in something and, the, the you know, 
these their companies reporting earnings and there's no visible fraud that means it's a real deal company yeah. right is it, is it just because the bank they can't get the banking rules changed that would really open things up and just frustration over that well that's been the constant overhang but you know we've gotten through the federal legalization and you know the safe banking is going to happen it's just a question of when and there's mm -hmm. all these fits and starts to the upside in the meantime that i keep getting hooked in hook line and yeah. sinker like a striped bass every time it does that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You should see some of the P&L, Maggie. But anyway. I know. I don't mean to laugh. I'm laughing no, no, with no, no. sympathy. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. But, you know, when you put your money where your mouth is, you're like, wow, this sector is. So I don't have a great answer. And yeah. I'm going to give an honest one. And I'm going to have to say that the number one question I have to the people that I'm staying with it is, why should I stay in this trade? Right, because I'm a tactical trader and I don't have any dogma in any sectors. Mm -hmm. This is a sector I believe in, but I look at healthcare and it doesn't trade with healthcare. I look at technology, it doesn't trade with technology. I look at consumer goods, it doesn't trade with consumer goods. So I feel like, you know, while Bitcoin is finding a home on the macro landscape, cannabis just cannot find its way right now. And, yeah. you know, maybe maybe there's too much risk still with um like you said, the Safe Banking Act and, and whether states are going to go fully behind it across the board or not. But I have more questions than I have answers. And I, I would be um, I wouldn't be being honest if I didn't say that right now. I don't have the answers. I think that the four horses, you know, in the MSOS ETF, you know, between True Leave, um, Green Thumb, um, Chris Blue, oh, Pure Leaf, those kinds of names, you know, they continue to build their business beat on earnings, do better every month, and some of the stocks just cannot get out of this downtrend. So yeah. they are truly in a bear market, right? That's what a bear market looks like when you see stocks receiving good news and going down, yeah. right? So I don't know whether the world got too bulled up too long at the highs and it's just been a long, painful de-risking, mm -hmm. or if the sector is just not going to see the light of day in terms of being a real frontier tradable market. Yeah. That, that that's awesome, awesome honesty, and I think um, great perspective for someone. And listen, if they if you have a long term and you you know you want to go there, at least you you understand what you're getting into. Um, and I'm glad you're going to keep asking those questions on the interviews you're doing. Um, we look forward to seeing some more of them. Maybe we'll get some clarity. I, yeah. One last question. One last question um, because it was asked a couple of times from Bill. Uh, any concerns about volume being lighter Monday and today than Friday's volume? Well, I don't, um, it's a good question. I used to really, really, before the dawn of electronic trading, I used to really hang my hat on volume. Mm. And if a move wasn't confirmed by volume, you weren't gonna get any trader to bite into it and say, look, this is relevant, right? That is an old school way, I think, of looking at markets. And I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm really not. I'm just saying that I have pivoted my I pivoted my weighting of volume and I've just kind of bumped it way, way down on the relevant screen, if that's fair. I mean, certain mm -hmm. moves are confirmed with volume. That's helpful. A lot of times they aren't. And if I say the absence of a volume confirmation is a reason not to be in this trade, I wind up being pissed off more times that I missed it than not. So I think it has a little bit to do with electronic trading. It has a little bit to do with all the orders going into the wood chipper to get executed mm -hmm. 100 shares at a time, right? There's no volume trading anymore. There's no volume print. There's no specialist standing up and saying, whoa, 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 whoa. We got a lot of money we're about to trade here. Let's do this right. 
Fantastic. Some some serious experience answers here. We love it. And thanks for all the great questions from everyone, too. We covered a lot of ground today. And as you say, right before we came on, Tony, there's a lot going on in these markets. A really interesting time. So appreciate you, as always, sharing Thank your Thank you for having experience. me. Thanks <laughs> for having me, Matt. You did thanks a great so job. Thanks so much. Well, we got to leave it there. Ash will be here tomorrow, same time with Gridzilla. Darius Dow. In the meantime, the conversation, of course, continues on the exchange. Take care and good luck out there. podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads go to lips and ads.com now that's l-i-b-s-y-n ads.com